We don't graduate from the Scruggs book or from the forward roll. That's not something we graduate from. That's something we always practice forever and ever, and it's like a meditation. Greetings, folks. I'm Keith Billick. Welcome in. It is your favorite time of the approximately every two weeks. You know what that means. It means new episode of the old banjo podcast for your enjoyment. So thank you so much for tuning in. I'm glad to have you here with me. And you know who I am especially glad to have here with us is Bob Curtis. Bob is today's VIP Patreon supporter of the show. Bob, thank you so much for listening and your generous contribution to keep the Picky Fingers Banjo podcast up and running and uh, helping to feed a hungry family of five in Detroit, Michigan. Couldn't do it without you and the other VIP supporters. So thank you so much. And I say this every time, but it's only because it's so important. I really do count on the support of all of you listeners. So the best ways to keep this show up and running is to do what Bob did. Go over to patreon.com slash banjo podcast and sign up to be a supporter of the show and become a VIP yourself, a very important picker. And there are rewards in exchange. One of the rewards is that we have a monthly video meetup with myself and your fellow VIP listeners. And uh, this month's VIP video meetup is scheduled for next Tuesday, February 20th at 6 p.m. Eastern time. We're doing it a little earlier to accommodate hopefully some uh, some overseas VIPs who might want to join. So once again, that's patreon.com slash banjo podcast. Another great way to support the show, and this is especially for all of you who might be in the doghouse for forgetting uh, a Valentine's gift or, or a Groundhog Day gift or President's Day gift, you can go over to banjopodcast.com and check out all the great Picky Fingers merchandise. You can get hats, hoodies, t-shirts, stickers, and music, all with that world-famous Picky Fingers podcast logo on it. So that's banjopodcast.com. You can also email the show. That's at pickyfingersbanjopodcast at gmail.com. Today's featured guest is Brian Alley from the Portland, Oregon-based band Never Come Down. Never Come Down has been steadily making a bigger and bigger name for themselves over the past several years. They've been uh, touring around, winning band contests, getting nominated for IBMA awards, and just gaining a following everywhere they go. Their live shows are terrific, as are their recordings. Terrific songs, interesting arrangements, and of course, top-notch banjo playing from Brian Alley himself. This interview was recorded at the IBMA convention, so I did my best to tame the background noise, but you might hear a bit of uh, commotion. But at any rate, let's put our hands together and give a very warm picky fingers welcome to Brian Alley.
My name is Brian Alley. I'm from Denver, Colorado, originally, uh, born in the 80s, and then uh, <laughs> lived all over the place. I wound up in Portland <clears throat> about 15 years ago, mm-hmm. and then uh, kind of fell back in love with the, the scenes that were happening specifically there and hadn't really been out picking that much in the various places I'd been living for a long time and just just fell in love with all these people up there and called it home and stayed a lot longer than I expected and wound up meeting uh, the cats, now all members of Never Come Down. Yeah. So you were a banjo player already before you moved there? Yeah. You started in Denver? Yeah, yeah. I grew up, I was yeah. born, uh, born and raised in Denver and uh, I was 12 years old and my uh, grandma and uncle were bluegrass fans. And I didn't know anything. My parents didn't know anything about it. They were back in Virginia, the the grandma and uncle and yeah. all family. And I used to go back there every summer just to hang out and catch fireflies and whatever as a kid. And then yeah. uh, and I'd go home. And one year they decided to come out and visit. There was this festival down the way from us called Telluride Bluegrass Festival that they wanted to go check out. Oh, I think I've heard of that one. Yeah. yeah. Well, we hadn't. And kind so kind of an ugly landscape, though. You yeah. Know, kind of just in the middle. Of, yeah. The whole thing's pretty blase, right? So, yeah. <laughs> you know, so you find yourself in this little valley in the San Juan Mountains and uh, the most gorgeous place on earth, right? right. And yeah. My uncle was a mandolin player. And so I, you know, hanging out with him at this festival, hearing all this music, which I'd never heard before, and watching this guy pick with people playing songs that other people knew that he'd never met before. It just kind of blew my mind. I was, I was always into all the music my parents played growing up, like ZZ Top and uh, Dire Straits and okay. Pink Floyd and all these, this great music that I think is great anyway. And, uh, and then hearing this stuff just kind of turned it all on its head. I was in, you know, discovering my own music, Nirvana and Green Day at the time. I'm not ashamed to say that. And because right, right. the Dookie album was pretty good yeah, for what it was, you know. You were a child of the times, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and uh, so anyhow, I heard Sammy Sheeler play with the Lonesome River Band. just melted my face like I, I had never had that experience before huh. and later that summer we decided man this bluegrass stuff's pretty cool let's go to this other thing rocky grass that's just down the road from golden where i grew up yeah it's a bit closer than yeah tell you right lions is really close and so we went to that and the picking scene there is a lot different than Telluride, right? Because it's in the grounds everywhere. Now you said we. Do you mean you and your uncle? Uh, sorry, my parents and I. Your parents, okay. Yeah, my sorry. mom, mom and dad, and and I'll go up to Lions for the weekend, and my dad is just flabbergasted. Like there's all these people playing music everywhere all the time. It wasn't like Telluride where you're getting kind of shuttled in at that time, and you know you go to the festival grounds, and then unless you're staying in town park, there there wasn't really a lot. Happening. Yeah, you got to get out of there. Yeah. So we didn't realize there's this whole jamming component to bluegrass festivals. Huh. And my dad went to this little store in Boulder and bought a, not cheap, but an affordable banjo. It was a Deering. It was a, 
it was like their entry model at mm -hmm. the time. And he bought the Scruggs book just miraculously. Some, he got the right guy he at got the, the time. Right one, yeah, yeah the, cool. this guy in the shop was like, oh, if you're going to get a banjo, you're going to want this book. Yeah. And, and I, you know, my dad started tinkering with it and playing it. And I still had Sammy Sheeler like firmly in my mind, you know. And uh, Yeah, let's go back to that real quick. What do you think it was that caught your attention so vividly about what Sammy was doing? He looked so freaking cool he was like yeah. you know like he, he's tall and he had these like i think he was in my mind he has like bleached stone bleached jeans still and like <laughs> some clean sneakers and like a cool patterned shirt and like oakley wraparounds you know and but the stuff he was playing it just like i'd never heard bluegrass before but the, it was so percussive and strong and it had conviction and it was like I don't think I'd ever really paid attention to anybody shredding a guitar solo before that. I'd been to concerts and stuff, but like yeah. it never the the thing that he was doing it just it just messed me up in the best way. Yeah, that's really cool. It, it sounds like your dad bought that banjo. Was that intended to be like your instrument, or was that it was it just like a no family yeah. <laughs> family purchase kind yeah, of thing? Yeah, like he had a guitar at home. He didn't bring it because he didn't know that there was a thing. So he's yeah. like, well, I'm not going to buy a guitar. And these banjos things sound pretty cool. And yeah. like, so he, he started messing with it. And then by the end of the weekend, I was doing Tim, thumb index middle out of yeah. the book, you know? I was cool. doing Tim and I was doing Mitt, you know, and all this <laughs> stuff. And I was like, just trying to figure it out. Um, and yeah. the Old Town Picking Parlor uh, was a little new shop in our town in Arvada, Colorado. Okay. And Uncle Kit there was a friend of my dad's and How Kit, old would you have been at when all this was happening? I was, I was twelve. I was okay. twelve when I got the banjo in my hands. Right on. And uh my dad found the pick and parlor and the Chapman family from that that are actually here yeah, they're at right, RGMA. Right down the hall. Yeah. Right? Yeah. With the long before those kids were had any gray hair on their heads or anything. They, <laughs> yeah, their dad, Bill Chapman is the father okay. of that band, bluegrass uh, banjo player. And, and he was kind of the only guy around as far as I knew. And, and he was great. He got me started. He figured it helped me figure out how to go through the Scruggs book and what's going on. And, yeah. um, and got my confidence up with jamming with like, his son, John, who's here this weekend, just an incredible flat picker who, and my yeah. dad started taking flat picking lessons. And then that turned into my, my dad buying a bass for my mom unwittingly and being like, well, now we're a, now we play a family band and we just played in the basement for fun. We never played out, but we learned, that's how I learned old Joe Clark and Salt Creek and red haired boy was just me and mom and dad, like yeah. come home from school and do some homework and eat dinner and then go downstairs and get the instruments out and like learn songs together. That's really cool. Especially for someone of that age to actually enjoy activities with their parents like that, yeah. that kind of strikes me as maybe a little unusual but it like really worked out it's like the double it was like the double secret like i know a lot of banjo players have expressed to you like this is a thing you didn't necessarily tell everybody right you know definitely not as a suburban denver kid you know playing the banjo was not going to earn me any cool points yeah and especially like hanging out with my folks you know and, and like and all that wasn't necessarily cool but uh I didn't care because the banjo just like had me wrapped around its fingers. If yeah. Banjos have fingers. I don't think they do. I, that's, that's our job, you know. You're right. The banjo supplies the tone. We have to supply the fingers, I think. <laughs> I mean, it seems like you must have progressed pretty quickly if you were getting time in every day and having yeah. already people to, to play with and, and learn with. Who else did you listen to in those days? Like you obviously 
were a Sammy Sheeler fan, yeah. it sounds like. Yeah. What other kind of things were you getting into? Yeah. I mean, I had these like series of like crazy epiphanies, you know, like driving around in the car in Virginia with my grandma and hearing uh, Down the Road, Flat and Scruggs, and hearing that break. I hadn't listened to that like that before, okay. and it when it blew my mind. I already had the Scruggs book and a banjo at that point, but it just like, I, and I'd been listening, but something about that I just remember, it, you know. And then Earl, I mean, I just had to go bananas with Earl for a long time, and then of course Ralph Stanley, I got to go see Dr. Ralph play a number of times. My wow. parents were so motivated to bring me out and like expose me to this stuff. I got to see Bela from a really young age. And Bela, you know, I'd sit there with CDs because that's what we had, you know, or yeah. tapes even, and yeah. but, but CDs mostly. And I would have the little, you know, you had the seat button and then you had like the full track track sure. button on it. Yeah. And that, that was really frustrating if you hit the wrong button, but I would just, be, I would restart <laughs> the break to like, uh, uh, like revival and stuff like that on yeah. those, on those new grass albums and just just listen to them over and over and try to figure it out and figure them out horribly wrong mechanically uh -huh. just but but like trying to hit the notes and figure out like what's happening here you know and so were you actually getting lessons from uh i forget mr chapman's yeah name? yeah from bill bill chapman okay. was was my teacher and he um in hindsight i don't know i don't think i was a very good like self-directed like student yeah. which is really important i think to know like what you're into and it took me a long time to figure out like what's what's the most important part, what's the most important stuff to learn and the most important stuff to learn is what you want to learn. I don't know if I just didn't ask Bill because he was a very capable player like, what's this guy doing? It's not in the Scruggs <laughs> book anywhere as far as I can find it. It turns out it's all in the Scruggs book for the most part. You know, yeah. it's just, uh, it's just kind of new syntheses of that stuff. And so what do you, th I mean, you, you said that you weren't very self-directed and looking back at it, you'd you kind of suggested that you maybe didn't do it quite the right way. What would you say yeah. that you should have been doing yeah. in those days? Or like, if you could do it over again, what would you have been working on? Oh, yeah. Well, I, I would definitely like have to credit Bill immensely and just being like, you know, if you if you go through this book and listen to all this good music and stuff, like you'll you'll understand what I'm doing. I thought he was so cool. You know, that family band, the Chapman family, like, yeah, he, they're he, they just very played good. very good. And so there was that. And then I, there was this other stuff that I felt like I was like almost like I needed to. It was like my voice emerging, and it, and maybe it felt like even though I didn't realize it then that I had to kind of like go figure this stuff out. Like Bill, Bill is my Scruggs guy. Bill is my Stanley guy, and okay. my and my Bill Keith guy. And later on in life, after searching out like a number of teachers and mentors, I've I've kind of started to learn how like the the stuff that i love how how to make it how to play it this is a great topic and i and i feel like i could follow up on like a whole bunch of stuff that you said there like the the first thing that caught my ear was you said something about you were starting to find your voice what do you mean by that and like what what do you consider to be mm. your voice mm. on the instrument i still don't know i still don't know but it it emerges slowly and gradually like like how the wind 
<laughs> breaks holes open in stones and roots break open boulders. You know, it's like this very slow process. And I don't, I don't know where it's going. I know where it is right now. And I, uh, I, th I think the best favor I did for myself unwittingly not knowing this was I just found the people that I thought were doing awesome stuff. Like uh -huh. these, these people who, unless you were a real banjo nerd, you probably hadn't heard of like, I saw Wes Corbett playing with Molly Tuttle at Sisters Folk Fest a long time ago. Uh -huh. And Molly was not a household name and Wes wasn't with Sam Bush yet. And, and he, you know, I, I think insiders definitely knew who Wes was, but that blew my mind seeing that guy. I had to know what was up with Wes. So I hunted him down and I took some lessons from him. And I, when I was in New York, I went to his apartment when he lived there, you know, and, uh, and then I heard like Corey Walker and I was like, what's this guy's deal? And I, I, you know, I went out and hung out with him as much as I could, you know, and like just... Well, let's get even more specific then if you're talking about like these mentors that you were able to find, like maybe go through who you think are your important mentors and like what you still have with you from them that, that you still use. Yeah. I'd love to hear about that. Well, chronological order would be, uh, of course, Bill Chapman. Uh -huh. And then after it was clear, I was practicing a lot and really into this banjo thing. My mom found that Tony Furtado lived up in Boulder. She took me up for some lessons with Tony. I wasn't old enough to drive yet. And Tony was like showing me stuff I wasn't necessarily ready for, like pentatonics. I was ready, but I just, you know, I was an ADHD kid or whatever. It took me a while to come back. And I find I still have these old things he wrote out for me. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is all finally making sense, you know. But Furtado and then, and then um, a long hiatus from playing and doing a lot of other life journey stuff that didn't involve banjo at all. Uh, coming back to it and noticing huge gaps in what what I could play and what I wanted to play. And Wes and Corey both really set me straight on building mechanics, fundamentals, looking at my hands and, and understanding scales and tones and I, I wanna I wanna dig into like all these things. Okay. So so let's go back to Furtado. Yeah. Show us some like what what are the, what are the important pentatonic things that he showed you and like, how do you use those? And, and like, oh, sure. how do they still help you? Sure. Okay. So he just wrote out a really simple thing, which was like a minor uh, pentatonic, uh, mm -hmm. just open string. He's like, look at this cool thing, you know, a five note scale. And it has all these open, open notes and is making all these cool sounds you like. Mm -hmm. <laughs> ah, that That's G, not G minor <laughs> pentatonic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. And so... Okay, that's cool. That helps me understand, like, maybe I could put my fingers there during, like, uh, Clinch Mountain or something and right. make, it, make it sound cool. But it didn't, it wasn't transportable for me in any way. And so the transportability stuff, these ideas came from, really from a lot from Wes and from Corey and later from Panda to 
Chris Pandolfi's been a yeah. big mentor for me. Well, I love all those players, so I'm, yeah. I'm just selfishly sure. wanting you sure. to. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you <laughs> probably yeah, it. you probably heard and seen a lot of this stuff, but you know, yeah. Wes looked at my hands and was like, "Okay, let's talk about." You know, my pick blades were right on the middle of the fingers, and he's like, "Well, you know, most people like they there's kind of an angle to your attack. You don't." You know, your yeah. finger isn't a normal, like, 90-degree... Yeah, unless your hand is completely perpendicular, right. there, there's going to be a, a, yeah. an angle there. So yeah. let's twist the blades off to the, you know, the whatever anterior side or whatever you call it, <laughs> yeah. the hand, towards the, towards the thumb, right? So there's an angle there. So I'm hitting the blade when I'm, and I'm getting the whole blade of the pick instead of just a corner of it, right? Yeah. And so the idea is for stuff. it to hit... Wherever your hand is, the, the blade hits flat against yeah. the string. Is yeah. that the the goal yeah. of, of doing that. And so he looked at my hands and he was like, okay, the hand, right hand, let's do some work on that. Like how, how I was holding it and, and, um, and my posture and like, let's hear some scrugs. And I played some scrugs for him and he was uh, for Wes and Wes was like, that's pretty good. There's some, there's some really basic stuff in there. You might not have missed or you hadn't been practicing like the evenness of the notes. Like you're getting all the notes in there and they're landing on the beginning and the end of the bar but the space between those notes might be a little wonky you're like what's a really perfect forward roll you know i could do that for a long time right and that's yeah. and that's something well i i'm sure we'll wind up talking about danny barnes at some point who's my all-time oh, biggest mentor and person yeah. person who's probably changed my life not just in terms of banjo, but all sorts of things more than probably anyone else uh, outside of my family, you know? Yeah. And, and so being made to understand that we don't graduate from the Scruggs book or from the forward role. <laughs> That's not something we graduate from. That's something right. we always practice forever and ever. And yeah. it's like a meditation. Okay. So the right hand stuff and the mechanics and like even tone and like evenness between the fingers and the evenness of spacing and all that stuff. But, but then the left hand was still a mystery to me and, and Wes and Corey both we're like, do you know your scales and how to practice your scales? And do you know what the modes are? And so I learned how to practice, you know, just uh, this is something that Bela had showed both of them, I think, which was like the maybe maybe this has come up before, but G, you know, G all the way through starting G to G, then A to A. Etc. Right. You know. And just to be clear for people listening, you're, you're doing three notes each on the low D string and the middle G, and then two on the B string. Sure. And yeah, so from G to G, then A to A. B to B. But only using the G major scale to get your your modes. Exactly. Cool. And that, you know, once you kind of internalize those patterns, and of course, you know, you can extrapolate and make those scales nine notes or ten notes or whatever you want right. to do, right? But I'm just doing a simple eight, that three, three, two, like you mentioned, three on the fourth string, three on the middle string, two on the second string. Be, yeah. And, you know, I, I had thankfully been warned that the point of this is not to just put these kinds of ideas in a song, like just start playing single note, uh, single string scale stuff in a song is not the point. What it's doing is elucidating all the places where the diatonic notes are in this scale yeah so it's it's opening up it's opening up my mind to these options so i was warned early thankfully like don't 
don't practice this stuff and then just try to like play that in a song like this is informing you of your where your hands go yeah. and, and it tells you if you stare at these modes long enough you understand where the chords come from based on the scale tones right and then you can make these new kind of uh choices with like altered chords because you know where a sharp nine or a flat nine is you yeah. know it's you, you because you've just stared at this stuff and practiced it so much and in the in interim you're building all this evenness of tone into your playing sorry for the interruption folks we'll be right back with the rest of the episode in just a few moments but i had to take this opportunity to tell you about some of the sponsors of picky fingers banjo podcast the first one up is elderly instruments I always tell people how Elderly is the world's most trusted source for new, used, and vintage stringed instruments of all kind. They're the first place I go for all my banjo needs. And also, by the way, any guitar, violin, ukulele, mandolin needs you have, it, they're going to have all of that. But you don't need to take my word for it anymore, folks. Elderly Instruments was just named the best small business in the country by the United States Chamber of Commerce. So first of all, congratulations to Stan Werben, Lillian Werben, and all the rest of the Elderly family for that remarkable award. And second of all, I encourage you all to go see what the fuss is about. Either get into the showroom in Lansing, Michigan, or visit them online at elderly.com. They have the entire inventory up there. They ship worldwide, and they have that great customer service that wins folks awards. Uh, and they're just a phone call away if you ever need any advice on any of those products. So once again, elderly.com or call them at 517-372-7880. Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast is also sponsored by our good friends over at Peghead Nation. Peghead Nation is the nation's number one site for streaming video courses in banjo, guitar, mandolin, fiddle, dobro, upright bass, and ukulele, where you can learn bluegrass, old time, and many other styles from some of the most talented players and instructors in all of Roots music. Here is some of the selections, and this is just the banjo stuff. You can take Beginning Banjo with Bill Evans, Bluegrass Banjo with Bill Evans, Clawhammer Banjo with Evie Layden, Wade Ward Style Banjo with Bruce Mulski, The Banjo According to Danny Barnes, or Contemporary Bluegrass Banjo with Wes Corbett. Now, no matter what course you select, it's going to come with high-quality multi-angle video lessons, downloadable notation and tablature, play-along tracks, and plenty of tunes and songs to play. And perhaps best of all, Picky Fingers listeners get a month free by entering coupon code PICKYFINGERS, all one word, all lowercase, at checkout. So once more, go to pegheadnation.com and enter PICKYFINGERS at checkout to get your first month free. The Picky Fingers podcast is also brought to you by Sullivan Banjos. Now, I'm very familiar with Sullivan Banjos. I've been playing one for nearly 20 years. I get tons of compliments on that banjo's sound, and that's really no surprise because the Sullivan name has been synonymous with incredible banjo workmanship and tone for decades. So whether you are looking for 
a pre-war style traditional design on through the craziest custom design you can think of, Eric Sullivan is here for you to make your dreams a reality. So get in touch with him over at sullivanbanjo.com. Email him at sullivanbanjo at gmail.com. Or sometimes the best way is just the old-fashioned way. Give him a call at 502-365-5022. And don't forget to tell him that Keith at the Picky Fingers Podcast sent you. That's really cool. And that was, uh, so Wes and Corey kind of taught you similar things that they, they have a roughly similar approach to their playing, it seems like. so They both agreed that that was important stuff, that like playing the classic three-finger banjo mm-hmm. a, la bar, a la Earl Scruggs is really important, you know, and, yeah. and J.D. Crow and all these guys. Like to study that stuff is really important uh-huh. to get some context. And that studying an instrument like any other classical musician or anybody else who wants to be a master of their instrument is also really important. Otherwise, we, as banjo players, can just become lick machines, lick repeating machines. Yeah. And if you want to be expressive and express yourself, which is my, what I want to do, then I needed to go build, find all these tools and build them. And so those, both of those fellows agreed that learning intervals and stuff like that would be really helpful and important and then of course their styles diverge um i think the other big thing they both agreed on was motifs building motifs and stuff like that which ooh, yeah um both of them hammered a lot on motifs which is like you know a lot of the stuff you like that you're asking us about is like you know this player maybe bela or whomever is like made this cool right hand pattern and then you know, uh, superimposed known positions on the left hand. So learning sixths and thirds as intervals, you know, like almost like double stops, like a fiddle or a mandolin or a guitar even would do. Why don't we do that? Oh, okay. Well, no, Bela is doing that. And a lot of these cats are doing it and they're just putting little new roles in. So it's like suddenly, you know, something like... could be uh, uh. Uh. <laughs> some of these crunchy little like yeah fake like wrong notes actually like kind of you know sound okay in context even right. so it's also i i'm less afraid of mistakes after messing with this yeah. stuff and like even the wrong notes have a certain character to them yeah. that you can use to your advantage when you when yeah. you know what the character is i should probably i should i should know like i sh- let me try to do this the right way just so <laughs> Something, something yeah. like that, yeah. yeah. So you you mentioned something about 
learning the layout and the modes and, and sure. these these patterns, but it was really important that this isn't what you play. Sure, you know this is just mapping mapping things out so that you're more comfortable seeing this. How do you then take the next step and take those skills and turn it into, as you said, like being able to express yourself? Sure. How, how does one like work on that? Uh, the the best advice I got was from Danny Barnes, and he, at least at the time, said that he had heard this from or learned this from watching David Grisman and working with Grisman a lot, which is Grisman just listens to the best music all the time. <laughs> when they're on the road, when they're traveling, like he'll bring, apparently, like he'll bring a record player and old 45s and stuff with him and just set it up wherever to just be able to hear the music he wants to hear. Wow. And so... That's some commitment. Yeah. Yeah, it's really cool. So just listening, and it's not all bluegrass or whatever, but it's just like whatever... You know, I get inspired by Beck songs sometimes, like songs I've heard a million times and I hear the little thing. And so listening really deeply, not just casually, but so like carving out time for myself, like I have a little space where I, I sit and I put on something somebody recommends perhaps or something I've been meaning to listen to. And I'll just try to listen really closely and deeply and like take maybe sometimes mental notes of like, that was a cool thing. I wonder if I could figure that out. Um, and so listening, being immersed in the stuff and and Tony Furtado told me something when I came to him later on when I ran back in, into him in Portland before I was a quote-unquote, air quotes, professional banjo yeah. player or whatever. Oh, yeah, you're both like Colorado to yeah. Portland transplants, aren't you? Yeah, okay. yeah. It sounds probably a little stalkery on my part in hindsight, but it was all, <laughs> it was all kismet, I swear. But, yeah. but I... I I was learning all this stuff that Corey and Wes had, had shown me and I, and I ran into Tony and I, I asked if I could come over and take a lesson and he, he kindly obliged and uh, I asked him about like 251 turnarounds, mm -hmm. jazz stuff. Yeah. And he goes, well, why do you want to know that? And I said, uh, I hear like a lot of my banjo people that I'm really hip to like do that stuff a lot. And he was like, do you really want to learn that though? Or like, what are you trying to actually learn? Like, what do you want to know? And I guess the, the truth was like the two, five, one turnaround stuff in the way the, these chord progressions in jazz work mm -hmm. are really compelling, but I wasn't trying to learn jazz. That's not what I want. That's not how, what I play and not how I, I love jazz, but that's not what I'm trying to play. I love how Bela and Wes and Corey play, but it's not, I, it kind of absolved me of needing to learn a style that I felt I needed to learn huh. and, and really was like, what do you think is cool? Let's talk, let's learn that. And if two five ones happen to be in there, if you hear something in there and I, and that's what it is, then let's talk yeah, about if, it. If Charlie Parker's your favorite and yeah, then yeah, if you want that applies, but yeah, maybe not. Right. Exactly. Hmm. So just listening to the stuff I really want to listen to and working on the stuff I really want to work on. And, and, uh, Danny Barnes gave me a, a framework to kind of be a self-directed student. And he, I've been working with him for, since the pandemic. Let, let's get to the, the Danny stuff then. I mean, you said he has had a, a big influence on you musically and otherwise. Let's dive into that. What are, what are some things that you feel like he's helped you with? Yeah. Um, I will say, I, this is something I wanted to mention is like, if for anybody out there who's really into this stuff, like we live in a beautiful world where as, as crazy and overstimulating as it is, uh, you can find these people 
and they generally really love banjo and sharing their knowledge, you know, and I'm not saying, you know, everybody go call or email Danny Barnes, but what I am saying is like, you can go, sorry, you can go find these people. You can go find the the folks you look up to and, and you can drop them a line and, and, or, or find the stuff that they put out there online. Kyle Tuttle's another one, you know, I just went out and I searched these people out because I thought what they were doing were cool. And I guess I was lucky that none of these cats were really well known yet. And they had the time to yeah. like, you know, to, to dedicate. I don't think any of those guys have the time now, but there's a ton of great banjo players out there yeah. that are here this weekend at IBMA even. And, um, and for better or worse, everyone is like more accessible than ever. Yeah. Uh, you know, with the internet. So people are generally it's really an opportunity. Yeah. It's an opportunity. People are generally really generous. And so I think maybe what I was also getting to before is like, uh, even though I wasn't a great self-directed student, under Bill's tutelage, which, you know, I got to be kind to my young 12 year old self <laughs> yeah. a little bit. I didn't know what I didn't know, but I, I'm lucky in that I w was fearless in just finding these people, Kyle Tuttle YouTube videos back in like the early teens and being like, what's your deal, man? <laughs> like, let's. No, I mean, uh, I understand what you mean about being kind to your young self, but I actually think that it's fascinating that you were taking lessons from this guy who is teaching you some valuable stuff and still had the the curiosity mm. to to want to find out m more than just what he was teaching you. I think usually when you're young and you have a teacher like that's your world for that thing. Yep. And you were able to like even see outside of of what your teacher was doing. So I you know. Yeah, yeah be kind to yourself, but I don't even think that it, it requires <laughs> like this retroactive <laughs> apology or whatever you want to cool. call it. Yeah. I mean, I guess I was just like unwittingly lucky that I was I fearless in finding these cats and asking them questions and trying not to be a bother, but you know, just, yeah. just trying to learn. And, and Danny was really gracious, you know, in the beginning of the pandemic, he took on a small cadre of folks who were really passionate about the banjo and have all sorts of different backgrounds and formed a community really like a sangha of banjo lovers wow. that would, he'd even do what he called lab on Fridays and everyone who could get together so this was all in person. This was on stuff. Zoom. This was all. Okay. This was all. You know, in the beginning of the pandemic, and everything was locked down, and I I didn't know what the heck I was going to do. And I'd asked Danny actually if I could, if he'd take some time for me back in like 2015 or 16. I'd never met him, but I and he was just busy and he didn't have the time and yeah. he was working. And he said, you know, if you live, that's where you live in Portland. He's like, you know, check out these guys and. Yeah. Um, and then luckily it's the time was right circled back and, and he is able to impart a lot of this knowledge on a, on a number of us. And, um, the single greatest thing he's taught me is how to work on this stuff on my own, how to be, how to take anything and test it, like really stress test it. Ooh. Yeah. Tell me about that. So I will send this list to you. Um, because I know as a passionate banjo person, you know, this is something that that you're interested in. And maybe other folks out there are too. It's like, because that was my first question is like, okay, like I'm listening to these old bad liver stuff.
and of course, I'd be remiss not to mention John Hartford as well, of okay. course, and all this stuff that's like I couldn't couldn't make heads or tails of a lot of it, and yeah. and it's so cool and out there, and like the choices just work, you know, and 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 like and there's such exploration of like ideas and confidence, and and I was like, how can I do that with my own ideas, you know? Because none of these people want to show you necessarily like the lick they played on this album because it's not it's like not what it's about, right? Danny and Hartford both have this like weird pure creativity thing yeah. happening. Yeah. And I, I think that's what you're sort of get getting at is yeah, it's yeah. not about the licks. It's just about their spirit that, right. that they play with. Yeah. So they so Barnes has developed this school of thought called Banjonics. And okay. the, and the question is why why don't we have this kind of like didactic way of sort of not didactic but a way of learning like if you were to learn the classical guitar you know and you wanted to play like Segovia or something there would be steps involved there would be rudiments pedagogy, yeah. there's pedagogy exactly and so he kind of developed this pedagogy he called it banjonics uh-huh. and there's eight steps to the program so if you've got your pens and pencils handy yeah. <laughs> uh, I write these in Roman numerals so they carry extra weight but uh, num- yeah. number one being being scales and scales meaning just of course the intervals like I played earlier, but also like how can I build an, a scale like the chords of the G scale, not just the notes that make up G, but each one of those eight or seven chords. Yeah. Um, and, and number two in this in this list is in fact chords. So like how they interact with each other, you know, and that would also mean inversions, learning your inversions. Um, so steps one and two are things I still, you know, there are unfamiliar keys for me all the time and you can get really bananas and start thinking about how to make chords and scales with altered tones instead of your classic, you know, or, yeah, yeah. Non-major scale, non-major scales or things that might, we might call an altered tone or something like that relative to whatever C major or something. Yeah. Yeah. So exploring that stuff on our own making like learning scales and chords and then reading music is number three. Um, That's an interesting one. mm -hmm. And I'm really grateful that he kind of was relentless in making sure that I read. And the, the way he did this with me was he would just send me pieces of music that were increasingly more difficult, but in the beginning, really simple. So, so what's the, what's the pitch for why a banjo player would need to read music? The re- the way it's helped me is when I look at a piece of music now, which I was completely illiterate to a few years ago, and I don't claim to, I'm not a sight reader now. It takes me a tremendous amount of work to get through a piece, and it's and it's slow going generally. It's getting faster, but number one, when I read a piece of music, I know I can find where all the open notes are in this particular right. place, and so the choices aren't made up for me about where to put my hands. And as Barnes says, like the big problem with the banjo is we run out of room, we run out of neck, yeah. you know, like <laughs> yeah. instruments, other instruments don't have this problem of like, if you look at a, a Bach, a really simple Bach or something like you on the banjo will run out of room rapidly. And so you have to look at this piece and see like, where's the lowest note, where's the highest note and adjust accordingly. And so you're starting to make these choices and understanding your instrument in a way that tablature simply won't allow. And I'm not saying you have to, you got to go out and learn to read and write music and all that stuff, but I will guarantee you it will help with the knowledge of, of the instrument. And also let me back up. It, it, it would help with understanding 
your choices. Why would I use this inversion instead of that? Or, or why would I, why would I play the G note, you know, uh, here on an open fifth string or here on the first string on the fifth fret or yeah. here or here. And it, it could, it's really going to be rooted on what, what came before it and what's coming and what's next. After, right. Yeah. Yeah. And what's going to keep that role going. You know, Panda talked a lot about that. What, you know, that role, you know, you're learning all this stuff, but that role is like, is your gravy, you know? So coming back to this resting position of rolling. And so, you know, you, um, I don't want to diverge too much, but the, the pitch for reading is, is something that actually I've, I thought would be a hard sell and, and, I've taught at some camps and stuff like that. And Danny says like, it's, it bears mentioning and a lot of people are going to grimace. And I was one of those people who grimaced initially too, but I, uh, it's not been a wasted effort. Number four is repertoire. So learning, learning songs that you want to learn. Yeah. Building up a repertoire because you'll just start seeing these patterns emerge over and over again. Right. Right. Improvising is number five. The only thing I'll say on improvising is when I asked Barnes about improvising, he just said, you know, like until you're real bored of all the, you know, you know the chords and the melody like the back of your hand, you've got to be pretty much bored of it. Then you can improvise. <laughs> <laughs> all right, fair enough. You just need to know something really well. It's kind of crazy to start improvising on something that you don't know the chord progressions yet, you yeah. know, or you don't really have the melody under your fingers or you couldn't even just sing it to yourself. Like if, you should know that before you start improvising. And I wish I'd have thought about that a lot sooner. I felt like, oh, I got to. I got to play this different. And it's like, well, I can't even actually really play the agreed <laughs> the upon. normal version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, number six is transcription. So uh, taking music you like from another instrument and putting it on the banjo. Mm -hmm. uh, I sat there for like a couple months this past winter just working on like uh, Mark Knopfler stuff because I really oh, love Mark Knopfler. I love Mark too. Yeah. I wish I could repeat some of it right now. It would take too long for me to, <laughs> to drum it up. But it was, you know, it, it was really fun, and useful exercise, and you start to hear cool stuff happen. Uh, you know, I don't want to take any magic away from, especially like what Danny does, but if you listen to a lot of like Youssef Latif <laughs> mm -hmm. and some flute music and clarinet music, uh, you will start to see where this transcription works come in for him. Really? Yeah. You, okay. Like the horn stuff. You know, thinking about the banjo as a horn in an ensemble and playing long lines. You know, you don't. If you tr if you read a lot of banjo music, you, you'll see a lot of licks and stuff like that. But these big long lines that don't just start and end in a bar or two. You know, they they span an arc over a number of chords. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a horn thing. You're gonna have to transcribe that stuff or make it up somehow. Yeah. Number seven is arranging, um, working on your own arrangements of songs and making your voice. And then number eight is recording and recording yourself. That could mean being at home, listening to yourself and playing it back. Ooh, that's a painful one, isn't it? It's a it? painful one. <laughs> and I'm sure I'm going to listen back to this and be like, yeah, it's still a painful one. But, you know, it's it's a valuable tool. And actually trying to make recordings of stuff you might want to listen to, like multi-track stuff on just like GarageBand on your iPad or whatever, like valuable practices, really eye-opening in your timing and your tone and your choices and yeah. all these things that your brain sort of fills in in the moment while you're doing it. And, you know, like as Rashid Wallace, great Portland Trailblazer said, ball don't lie. He's also a great Detroit Piston. Yeah. I want to make oh, clear sure. of that too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ball don't lie. I think he said that while he was with Detroit, actually. So, <laughs> all right. Yeah. We'll take credit for it. Cool.
Um, so let's talk. Th that's all great. I actually feel like we could do an episode about each of those steps, probably, yeah. to be honest. So I guess I'll leave it to listeners to explore each of those, you know, however they can or however they want to. But um, I do want to move on and make sure I get to talk to you about Never Come Down. met up with them in Portland and and that's why you're here at IBMA and that's how yeah. I've come to to know you a little bit and um, been able to see you so so talk about that band what are you guys all about and you know how does all of this that we've been talking about come into play with with what you do with that group sure yeah it, it's really a you know in some ways like for me like looking back is really uh, synchronistic and wild like I uh, I had a career I was getting paid fairly well. I had a, a house and a wife in Portland and, and was living a comfortable life and getting not enough banjo time. And I uh, just kind of decided I couldn't do this anymore. I was sitting at my desk one day and, and just like, I, it was like, I heard a voice be like, it's kind of now or never for you. Like if you're gonna, if you really are as passionate about this thing and you you love it as much as you do, if you know, I thought I'd, I'd like to make a go of it and yeah. and try to try to make a living at it. And I just felt like I had to like leave some stuff behind. And and I went on my sabbatical. I called it. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. And I yeah. You, ha you haven't returned yet. I still haven't returned. You're still on sabbatical. Unbeknownst to me, I have not returned. I'm still on sabbatical. But I I after leaving that job, my I was in a band. We played like little regional stuff. It was called Out West. We we're a bunch of good buds and I had a tremendous time and I learned so much from these guys and and as all great bands kind of that sort of come to pass like people just had different ideas for what their lives were going to be and touring musician is not was not really high on anybody's roster and uh you know even sometimes I I wonder about the touring thing you know yeah but but at least I, at that point you thought that that was yeah. uh, uh, an objective yeah. that, that you wanted yeah okay and I came home and I uh and the band was sort of, uh, we were kind of putting that to bed. And even though we were all still buds and picking, we weren't, we weren't playing gigs. And, um, yeah. I just started playing this open mic in, in Portland. This guy, Joe Suskind had just taken over this little bar, like half a mile from my house. And he started inviting folks and all these great pickers that I'd never met before, but Joe knew were coming out of the woodwork every Tuesday night. And I was hooked and I was there every Tuesday night for three years until COVID shut it down. And, yeah. and, but we, every week the people kept coming back and, um, there's a few, few folks who we recorded a self-titled little like, oh my gosh, the banjo music has begun. Yeah. <laughs> um, we, uh, all these cats kept showing up to this bar at the ranger station in Southeast Portland. And, um, it went from playing all these songs that everybody knew of each of, uh, you know, covers and stuff like that, and trad songs to like, hey, here's a song I've written. Let's yeah. play my song. Laughter on the sunny side of town. We all watch this whole world brought her down. Now we're left here standing as we lay her in the ground. Laughter on the sunny side of town. 
just if she was born to She danced until her slippers were worn through And we couldn't look away As the wind made them sway The memories are too quick to fade And Joe, our fearless leader and guitar player in the band, uh, always has sung his own songs and put a lot of value on writing and singing his own songs and that was really inspiring to me and so I was like okay well I guess I should take some of these songs out and maybe maybe work on some of my own more too and so this it became really quickly just like a collaborative thing where even though we were playing every Tuesday at the bar we were also spending a lot of time together at each other's houses like oh cool hey have you heard like check this out here's the thing and like and yeah. the next thing we knew we had you know you know, 15 minutes of original material, then a, an hour, two hours, three hours, you know. And arrangements. Yeah, and, and arrangements. Yeah, and, cool. and and it's just like this highly addictive thing that, that doesn't actually cost you anything and only gives back, in fact. And so uh -huh. um, here we are, you know. Yeah, it's amazing how many bands, including some that I've been in, just end up being the people who kept showing up. Mm -hmm. Like that's that's how you form a band is like yeah. it, it it becomes apparent who's serious about committing their time and energy to to making this happen. Yeah. yeah. And it's and it, and being honest, it's not it's not always for everybody. And so like being, you know, but like finding those people who have the same time commitment you have and not, you know, not imposing your your, your will if you want more or or yeah. you know, like being withholding and taking less if other people want more, you know, and stuff like yeah, that. It's just, yeah. it's like a, any good relationship. And we still love each other and, and love the music. And I think that is, is the only thing that, that really drives the engine for us, that and the generosity of the community and the strangers and the people on the road, the yeah. friends who, who tell you like, keep going, even though you might be in the, in the dark night of having some doubts. Yeah, yeah of right. course. Like any, everybody has these little, these little internal battles of like, is my song good enough? Is my playing good enough? And all that. And it's like just resetting and being like, eh, it doesn't matter. I'm surrounded by these awesome people who, and we love what we're doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that comes through. Yeah. I mean, to, to piggyback on what you've said, yeah, you, your, your shows definitely have an emphasis on original material on like really cool arrangements that's what sticks with me is there any other is there anything else you'd say about like how you go about making these arrangements they're definitely not your typical uh i don't know little cabin home on the hill songs with just a verse and a chorus and some solos like they're you know they're arranged right. pieces yeah yeah i think um i wouldn't say we have like a system down for how we write stuff but in general you'll have one person occasionally two who have come up with the bulk of an idea or whatever. And I will say as our taste and our, our own sound has evolved, so these ideas kind of come a little more fully baked and formulated than maybe in the early days of this band yeah. trying stuff. But, but it's like, you know, I learned, we learned a tremendous amount from recording this forthcoming album with Chris Pandolfi. Oh man. Here, here I thought we were like almost done and now you got to drop the, uh, the, the Pandolfi bomb. Sorry. Talk, talk yeah. for a minute about it because you've expressed to me how amazing it was to, to work with him as a producer. Tell me what that was like and, and what did he do that maybe had that impact on you? Yeah, well, the first day, the first song we recorded with 
with Panda. We'd already met Panda and did a little pre-production work mm-hmm. uh, last fall before we went to the studio this past January. And um, that first day in the studio in, in Lexington, the first song, we came out after like four takes and sat down and listened. And he, he turns around in his little swivelly chair with his arms. On, and he's like, all right, what's everyone think? You know, and uh, we all looked around and nodded at each other and like, yeah, pretty good. And he goes, <laughs> you guys, like, you got to give yourselves permission to love your own music. So I'm giving you permission right now to get really stoked on what we're doing, you know? Yeah. And so being really excited about what we're doing and really believing in it and and all and trusting all that stuff um but also like uh with regards to like arrangements of songs and even songs within an entire show or a set like having moments clear moments that bring everyone back in not just the band but also like an audience so like it doesn't necessarily need to be like a big hit you know or like just we're hitting diamonds here again or whatever or like ripping solo but it's like what would really serve this song here? Would it be some more space? You know, would it be to get sparse? Would it be to like really just make it a voice and a guitar right now? Or, you know, is is my banjo voice kind of up in a register where Caden on the mandolin could be more expressive or whatever, you know, and just messing. It's a lot of it is just like, I want to hear everyone else while I'm doing something too and not yeah. be in anybody's way and, and sometimes we're really synergistic and bringing each other, like doing, playing the same thing and building yeah. it up. But sometimes we're, you know, we're just trying to to make something that is interesting and beautiful to us and, and trusting that if, if we like it and think it's beautiful and believe in it, that probably people will connect with it too. sounds like what he was trying to express and maybe correct me if I'm wrong is like that there's not any specific right or wrong choices but just to be intentional about whatever the choices are make sure you're not just playing the thing because your hands are moving to those chord shapes or whatever just like really be intentional to make the music happen yeah Yeah. absolutely and and of course I was lucky in that as a banjo player I, I had extra uh, yeah. <laughs> extra banjo ears extra yeah, um, yeah yeah and panda really helped me out with uh like full circle back with like the the uh, pentatonic stuff just like have you messed around with these positions like you know where those notes are have you like have you figured out those like cool little movable positions around that like you can they're kind of like these safe places that you can just roll and roll around in and you don't have to feel like you're always out on a limb in order to make these interesting moments or things work like you can is there anything that you remember specifically? Sure, sure, I, sure. I would love to, to get some of that wisdom. 
Sure. Like, uh, I just think of the, you know, I, like a lot of just connecting like little, little chord shapes. Like here, this is like a G6, I guess, really. G major six. But, um, mm, Mostly like the connectivity yeah, yeah. between those, connective, those areas. Connective yeah. tissue. And so right. like um, just trying to figure out like uh Try to figure out like a I'm just kind of like messing around. Like that was kind of like a little maybe amorphous or something, but just uh, I spend a lot of time just like playing around and being like, where do these little like open kind of pentatonic sounds that don't have maybe maybe sometimes they don't even include a third or a fifth or something like it can just, almost work for like different chords that like yeah. you could play that like over c or a g kind of and it would yeah it can kind of straddle that line a little totally. bit totally um, yeah just how those little inversions like sliding between them you know panda talks a lot about that and and how you could you know just kind of stay in these safe rolly patterns where you know if you might you might be lost but you won't you're not going to lose like uh lose your place necessarily yeah. entirely you know it's been so loud. i think the universe is trying to tell us something yeah. here but bef before we go i want to hear about like your your instrument and oh, like, sure. so take us through what what banjo you're playing sure this is a uh this is hurley blue i named her after you know down the road about a mile or two <laughs> it was clear after i was i was kind of into this banjo thing when i was uh about 13 um Maybe it was time for uh, for something that that had some real tone, and and this was uh -huh. kind of my dream. I'd been looking at this in the old town picking parlor, and um, Dad came home with this banjo back in '94 or '95. It's oh, a wow. Gibson Mastertone Scruggs model. Yeah, uh, cool. And nothing special about it other than I, I like to put these Foltz tail pieces on them because I just think they they're really they they stay in tune really well. And a lot hmm. of people think mass is not your friend, but I. It, it kind of darkens the tone in a way that I really like. Yeah. So otherwise, you know, just a standard Gibson master tone um, just happened to be from a really good era, unbeknownst to us at the time. These were kind of a, another golden age of Gibson banjos. The famous Greg Rich era. Right, Gibson. exactly. All yeah. right, cool. You have a pickup on it. What's your preferred uh, pickup model there? Yeah, the 
Panda also recommended that Fishman Rare Earth, and I'd been struggling with with amplified big sound for a long yeah. time and making it sound like an actual banjo. You know, eventually when budget affords me, I'd you know I'd love to have some nicer preamps and stuff like that and mm-hmm. and all that. But the this Rare Earth pickup uh, is really like a great starting point. Yeah, cool. Yeah. Any other like banjo specific gear that you're partial to that that is worth uh mentioning um banjo specific gear you know picks bridges anything like that well panda he talked about on your podcast about how he kind of changed up his right hand and and i wound up doing the same thing because he um he's like me then that i don't plant my ring finger and it used to just kind of fly out there in space Mm -hmm. and i i tucked it in and it changed the shape of my hand and I noticed like my tone was like sounding kind of like garbage, but I didn't think it was because of this new hand shape that took a lot of, of work to get used to, yeah. to just curl in that ring finger and just use pinky, you know, but I just resigned to only practice that way for like six months and then it eventually just worked. Okay. But, but the tone was weird and, and I realized like I was playing with these picks that just that the alloy was not good and like the shape wasn't right. And so, and I won't name the, it was like a, a small maker person that made these things and so i went through went back to my old uh um national picks and those those sounded pretty good and then my friends actually joe his dad is a pedal steel player and he's like have you checked out these hoffmeyers and um we a beat them and it was undeniable these hoffmeyers sounded incredible yeah Um, really really a difference maker in the tone and the shape and all very that very full sounding yeah to me yeah. yeah and i well you know it dawned on me i heard panda play my banjo and i had never heard it sound that good before like during pre-production he picked up my banjo and he played something like just literally like three notes you know i think he just went like and it was like whoa everybody turned and like and then i i was like okay this is this is clearly something in here something so. to figure out yeah yeah, yeah. cool uh, so you, so you're on the Hoffmeyers then, yep. and cool. How about you uh, make sure everyone knows where to find you and your band and your tour dates and your recordings oh, yeah. and stuff. Great, yeah, thank you. Uh, name of the band again is Never Come Down. Yeah, uh, Never Come Down Bands dot com. We're on all them social things at Never Come Down Band. Mm-hmm. We have one album right now that's been out for a few years. With more projects in the works, and this this new album, Greener Pastures produced by Chris Pandolfi, a.k.a. Panda. Right. We don't know when that's going to happen yet, but uh, we'll be touring heavily, and all those all those dates are listed on the uh, on the old Webby site there. Yeah. Sounds great, man. Well, thank you so much for your time, and enjoy the rest of your week here. Thanks for having me, Keith. Keep um, pacing yourself. We'll make it. Yeah, like, it's a marathon, not a sprint. Man. Yeah. Big fan of the show. Thank exactly. you. Yeah, you bet. Cheers. Thanks so much for tuning in, folks. You heard a bunch of sound clips on this episode, and in order, they were Gimme Time by Never Come Down, Done Gone Shame by The Lonesome River Band, Down the Road by Flattened Scruggs, Glory at the Meeting House by Tony Furtado, Ghost Train by Bad Livers, Down to the Waterline by Dire Straits, Bishop School by Yusuf Latif, Greener Pastures, Sunnyside, and Mother, the last three tracks all from Never Come Down. Thank you so much once again to Bob Curtis, this episode's extremely generous VIP supporter of the show. Become a VIP yourself. Go to patreon.com slash banjo podcast. Get your world famous 
Picky Fingers merchandise, those t-shirts, hats, stickers, and whatnot, by heading over to banjopodcast.com. All of that just goes directly to support the show. Or get a hold of me, Picky Fingers Banjo Podcast at gmail.com. That's going to do it for me. I'll see you all next time. 